least we can do for them. We appreciate everybody that's involved in doing things around here because without them, we couldn't do it. We couldn't, this church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of us that are here as a body because we're a body and we all have things to do. So it's good to, to um, be able to provide that for them. And if, of course, if anybody wants something of a sermon, all you got to do is ask them and you, you're welcome to have one. It's not a, you know, you can get it for free, so it's not like you have to pay anything for it. So, um, but that's the reason what we do. Sunday evenings, we don't usually record it unless, you know, people request that we do. And we might somewhere down the road, but right now we're not doing that because everybody's here on Sunday nights, right? <laughs> okay, now before I get started, I get carried away because I do that and then I forget to get to pray or get started here. So let's pray. Our praise Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for your anointing, Lord, upon this service, Lord, that we can already sense, Lord. We thank you for the mighty Holy Spirit that's walking these aisles, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that your anointing would be upon me, your servant, this morning as I minister the message, Lord, that you've given unto me. Anoint the hearts of this thy people, Lord, to be able to receive your word this morning. And we'll be careful to give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay. Hallelujah. Now, last week, we, I kind of broke from this but uh, uh, to, because it was Labor Day and figured I'd talk a, preach a sermon about labor. But uh, two weeks ago, I talked about David, and this was the second of a, of a series that I was doing, and I did the one about a year before that. So I want to maybe wrap this one up tonight or this morning. Maybe I'll wrap it up. You know me. <laughs> and so let's go back to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Now, you're probably wondering, how in the world else could I preach on David and Goliath? Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot there. There's a lot of stuff there. And uh, I want to look at some other things about that that goes on, not specifically the battle itself, but what causes people to do the extraordinary things? What causes people to be heroes? What causes Pat Tillman to resign or quit, uh, take a leave of absence from the Cardinals football team in order to uh, enlist in the Army and go over to Afghanistan and fight for his country. What was it about him that made him do that? And of course, we all know that he eventually died over there, so it was an ultimate sacrifice that he gave. What was it about him that, that made him make that decision? The people that was on that plane on 9-11, we just passed 9-11, and hopefully we remembered the sacrifice and things that happened during that day. Well, what caused those people on that one plane to rush the terrorists and to be able to take down that plane, knowing it would cost them their lives. What was it about them that made them heroes? Why do we need heroes? In 1982, Marathon's going to be remembered, not necessarily for who won, but by the woman by the name of Linda Down, who was 28 years old. And she had cerebral palsy. And she entered this race, and she came in last. But she's the one that we remember from that marathon because she couldn't, well, she had to, couldn't walk. She had to run the whole marathon on crutches. And so when we look at that marathon and everybody was cheering and excited about her and the struggle that she made doing that 26.2 miles on a pair of crutches. Now, if you've never been on crutches, you don't understand how hard that is. Man, I've been on crutches a few times in my life, and I didn't go no 26 miles. When I went to college and had to go from one class to the other, some of those classes were uphill, and I was on crutches, and I'm not kidding you, my armpits were so sore I couldn't even hardly move from just trying to go from point A to point B. Well, I couldn't even imagine 26 miles on crutches, but it's something that she wanted to do. But what was it about her that made her special? What made her any different than anybody else? Why do we need heroes? Because they inspire us. 
Man, we looked at her and that thing that she did, and they think, well, man, if she can do that, what's this little bitsy, bitsy problem that I have? What is the big deal about what I'm facing if she can do that? They inspire us. In First uh, Sam, Samuel 17, chapter, the 52nd verse, it says, The men of Israel and Judah shouted and ran after them, pursuing them all the way to Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The Philistines fell wounded along the road that leads to Serumim, Sharam, better spell it, pronounce that a little bit better, as far as the Gath and Ekron. Now we need air heroes because they show us that there's an alternative to retreat. We sit and get in a situation where we think, oh man, all I got to do is run. And we get in certain situations in our life, that's what we want to do. We've got this, uh, this flea gene built into us and the adrenaline comes up and we don't want to go forward, we want to back up. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, about how hard it is to chase the ball or, or move forward to the ball when it's hit towards you because our, our instinct is to back up. Well, when we face danger or we face a giant or we face something in our life, that's our instinct is to back up. What makes us maybe want to make that extra step and go forward? What is it about that? We need heroes today, don't we? David inspired the whole nation of Israel to be able to react. And all of a sudden, they didn't stand on that ridge. All of a sudden, they had enough courage and developed enough courage to be able to chase the enemy. He went to the, an enemy went from, they went from hiding from the enemy and standing there and watching and quivering in their boots to chasing the enemy because of one thing that David did. We need heroes because they inspire us to greatness. They inspire us to be able to step out in faith, to be able to not be afraid of those things in our life. And they inspire everybody around us. Our kids need us to be a hero so they can look at our lives and they can see how to handle situations. What happens when dad loses his job? What happens if somebody in the family gets sick? How do they respond? Do they respond by shaking their fist at God and saying, why did you do this to me? What's the matter? Haven't I done this and this and this and this? I'm mad at you, God, or whatever it is. Or do we just say, God has a purpose, and God's going to got me to it, so he's going to bring me through it. We need to be a hero to our kids so they'll know how to handle life when they get there. Because I guarantee it, if you haven't had a problem in your life, you're going to. And our kids are going to have problems. And the problems that they face are different than the problems that we face or have faced in our life. This is a different society they live in than what we live in. But we need to be heroes to our kids so they'll know that they can trust God. If they don't know, how, know that we can trust God in the hard times, they won't. If they don't know that we can serve God in the hard times, they won't. They'll react the same way we do. But if they see us when we're facing a giant or a situation in our life and we go towards the problem and we don't run around and we uh, run away when we just face it head on, then they're going to say, hey, my dad could do that. I remember when my kids were little, they thought we could do anything. You remember those days when you had little kids? My dad can do anything or my mom can do anything. My kids, I, I probably told, I told you this before a long time ago, but I'll tell you again. I remember one time when we was in the store and my, our oldest son, he was probably five years old, and there was this big guy, and this is when I was a lot smaller than I am now, probably about 20 pounds smaller. <laughs> but, and I'm sitting there, in the, in, and Jason's, he's sitting there looking up this guy, and he's like six foot two, probably 260 pounds. And he looked at him, and he kept looking at him. I don't know. He was just impressed by his size, I guess. I don't know what it was about him. And he's sitting there, and he's talking to him. He says, how old are you? 
you know, and of course, you just keep little kids going to ask you that. You're going to tell them. He says, well, I'm, I'm, I don't remember what he said, what his age was, 22 or something like that. And he knew that I was older than that. And he looked at him and says, my mama can beat you up. <laughs> I'm going, <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's, let, let, yeah, cute kid. Let's just hurry and get out of here, you know. Because they think that because certain things happen in certain ways that they, that's the way it is. My mama can beat you up. Well, my dad can do this. My dad can fix anything. And my kids used to bring things to Randy to fix. Daddy, would you fix this? And, of course, my husband can about fix anything. If you can't fix it, then it can't be fixed. <laughs> but they would bring to him knowing that their dad could fix anything. So their dad was their hero. Their mom was their hero. Man, if I don't need to run away from any bully, I don't need to run away from any problem because I have heroes in my life. And that's what God wants each one of us to be. He wants each one of us to be a hero to the people that are in our life, our family and our friends, and especially our kids. Because if, they don't, if we aren't our kids' as heroes, where are they going to get their heroes from? Rock stars? How many of you want them finding and following a rock star? Or Boy George or some of these other cross-dressers and things like that. That isn't what I want my kids to follow. I want my kids to follow a godly man and a godly woman. But if we're not those heroes, if we don't step forward and not willing to face those giants in our life, they're going to find heroes somewhere else. And we're going to lose our kids. We're going to lose them to drugs. And we're going to lose them to all those other things out there because they need heroes. They need somebody to look up to. Well, God wants that somebody to be us. God wants it to be us. And we need to be willing to step out there and face those giants because we know that we have other people's lives that are in our hands, especially if our family and our kids. We want our kids to grow up to be heroes to their kids. We want to pass on that mentality to our kids. We don't want to pass on a mentality of laziness and not doing anything and just griping and complaining about everything. We want them to raise up to be able to be, step out and do things, to take on the situations head on. That's what we want our kids to do, isn't it? In order to do that, we have to be a hero to our kids. And it sounds really hard when we look, about, look at it, because every time we think of a hero, we think of these extraordinary things that heroes do. But all the things that heroes do, they aren't necessarily great extraordinary things. What does it take to be a, be a hero? Do we need to have more faith? Is that what it takes? If we can't be a hero, why isn't it? Why aren't we a hero? Why don't we do things? It's because a lot of us sometimes we think that if we can't do it perfectly, if we can't do it just so, if everything isn't lined up the way it has to be, step after step after step after step, I'm not going to do it. We try to be perfectionists about things. And we can't live like that. We need to understand that if we can't do it perfectly, we can do it, we can try. We won't try if we think we can't do it. And if we think we have to do it perfectly, we'll never do anything. Because I don't care who you are or what you are or how familiar you are with something, you're not going to do everything perfectly. I'm, I'm trained in looking for the negative, and sometimes it's a curse. I come into something that's so beautiful and whatever somebody's done, and I'll go over like this, and I'll go, ah, and my eye will just be drawn just like that. I look over there, and I don't see the wall. I see that nail hole that's right there because I'm drawn to the things that are distracting. I hate it sometimes, but that's the reality of it. Because I'm, you know, I was raised, it has to be perfect, it has to be, there's a tolerance zone there, and I'm raised with that. Well, sometimes that's the way our attitudes are. If we can't do it perfectly, or what if we fail? Wow, I don't want to do anything because I may fail. 
Well, you'll never do anything in your life because, hey, you are going to fail. There's a lot of things that I failed at, a lot of things that I'm not, I wish I'd have done better. I wish I could go back and undo things. You look at the big game that happened, all those games we watched yesterday. There's people that missed a pass that would have won the game. Oh, man, I wish I could have catch that ball. Well, did it keep him from going out there on the next play? No. <laughs> That's his job. Well, it's your job as a Christian to get up and go out and try to make the next play. Don't let the one interception or what the one pass that you drop mess up your whole life. Go out there and be willing to catch another one. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome perfectionist? How do we do it? Well, first of all, we let God be the perfectionist and let him worry about it. That's the easiest thing we have to do. Uh, 2 Samuel uh, 17, verse, or 17, 38, chapter 38, verse 38, it says, He came to his arm, came, gave him his own armor to David for him to wear, a bronze helmet which he put on David's head and a coat of armor. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and tried to walk, but he couldn't because he wasn't used to wearing them. I can't fight with all this, he said to Saul. I'm not going to use it. So he took it all off. See, but David was flexible. See, we need to be flexible when we face situations in our life. If we're not flexible, then we're already defeated. We try something that doesn't work and we're not comfortable with it, then don't just keep trying it and keep trying it and hoping it's going to get better. Try something else. It amazes me that people keep trying the same thing over and over and over again that doesn't work and hoping the next time it will. Usually that isn't the case. If you're trying something in your life and you're not comfortable with it, then try something else. Be flexible. Be realistic too. David was realistic. He knew he couldn't fight in this armor. He knew he couldn't do it. He tried it out. He was willing to give it a try. See, the problem is Christians, we're not willing to give anything a try. We sit there and want everything lined up, whatever, pretty perfect. All we got to do is just go over here and it's all done. That is the way God works. He prepares us to do things a little bit at a time, and he wants us to be flexible. He wants us to be realistic. Now, God isn't going to ask me to go sing at Carnegie Hall. I don't care how bad I wouldn't be nine doing it. You know, I can have this vision. I can have a dream of being a, a world-famous singer and all these other kind of things, but I need to be realistic. <laughs> I've heard me sing. <laughs> So I know that I'm never going to be there. Maybe one day God will let me preach, sir. That'd be okay, too. But, <laughs> but I need to be realistic. We need to be realistic about things that we're trying to achieve. If I can't read a tape measure, I'm not going to have somebody ask you to cut a board. You need to be realistic. But I may have somebody come and help you learn how to read a tape measure. That's okay. Well, we need to be open to be able to have somebody be willing to do that or would be willing to listen to that person as they teach us how to do something. We need to be realistic about the things we can't do. Another problem, the reason we're not heroes is because we allow the abnormal to become normal. 1 Samuel 17, 16, verse 16 says, Goliath challenged the Israelites every morning and evening for 40 days. Israel sat on that ridge for 40 days listening to Goliath two times a day go up there and challenge him and defame their God. For 80, 80 times they listened to him. And they sat up there. Pretty soon it became normal. It became part of their life. They got to know, oh, well, it's about time for Goliath to come out. First two times, the probably common times it probably happened, they were probably a little, whoa, what's going on here? Everybody running there wanted to see what's going on. And then the fear started creeping into their lives. And then all of a sudden, then the next day, and the next day, and the next day, after 40 days, hey, they're used to it. They're, we're just going to stand here because that's what we've done for 40 days. 
We let, they let the abnormal become normal in their life. The normal thing for them to do would have been God, somebody go down there and kill that giant. That would have been the normal thing to do. When you got God on your side, why do you need to be afraid of anybody? And they had God on their side. But they sit there and they hid in their tents and they hid up on the ridge of that mountain just listening for 40 days because it came, became normal to them. And they just accepted it. The dysfunctional things in our life we will accept and we will allow the abnormal to be normal in our lives. Years ago, maybe you wouldn't allow that TV program on your TV set in your house. But now, all of a sudden, it's okay. It doesn't bother you anymore because the abnormal has become normal for your life. You wouldn't have allowed this kind of music in your house. But now, all of a sudden, the abnormal is normal and you don't think anything about it because we allow the abnormal things in our life to become normal. And then we sit back and wonder what's wrong with our life. Why? Why are we having these problems? Well, the problem is we sit on the ridge too long. We need to get rid of the stuff the first thing. When the giant first comes out in our life, that's the time we need to attack it, not sit there and listen to it for a while, and not sit there and back up and allow that abnormal thing to happen. The way to get rid of a bully, how do you get rid of a bully in your life? You beat him up. When I was a kid, I wasn't a bully. And I was kind of the one, kind of the person that kind of Felt sorry for the kids that was, you know, protected people. That was kind of the way that I was. And I'll tell you, you don't have to do a lot to take care of people. I beat up one person in my whole life when I was a kid. Just one person's all I ever beat up. And I'm not kidding, you got to admit, I got a reputation that people were scared of me. <laughs> I didn't do anything, just one person. I remember when I was in high school one time, and somebody, somebody had told this, this, this gal how mean and ferocious I was or whatever. I don't know what all they told her. And we was up, when I was in high school, I remember we, they was remodeling our cafeteria, so we, we ate in a gym above the, the kind of the surrounding, up at the upper part of the balcony of the gym, that's what it was. And we were sitting there, and I happened to go in there, and this lady was, this gal was there with this other gal, and she says, oh, by the way, this is Sandra. I'd like you to meet Sandra. And she was just about ready to take a bite of her sandwich. And I'm at Kenny, she went like this, and, and I'm at Kenny, she turned white as a sheet. And she was so scared, and she started shaking, and she was just terrified because of what, what she'd heard about me. I didn't do anything in my life but beat up one person. <laughs> but my reputation preceded me. <laughs> and then I felt so bad because she was so afraid of me that I went out of my way to be nice to her. And I made my friends drag her along with us every time we went. Oh, they hated her like me. Glad we've got to go get Kathy. Let's go get Kathy. No, no, no. I ain't going getting her. No. We don't like her. She says, I'm going. She's going. So... And I kind of made him go get her, and she ended up kind of, you know, fitting in a little better. And she ended up marrying my brother, so I'm not sure that was a good thing or bad thing. <laughs> so, but it was kind of, you know, funny because all you have to do is just take care of one situation, and the reputation goes on. And so if you're facing a giant in your life, remind the giant next giant, hey, did you hear what happened to the other giant in my life? Do you remember that? <laughs> all right, let's go. <laughs> So we allow the abnormal things in our life to change our lives. And it doesn't take a large thing, something big, to be able to make a, make a, a difference. If we start reading our Bible at home, if we start having a family altar, if we start doing bio, uh, family uh, devotions, and they're just small things, but they have a great influence on the way your family is. We don't think that uh, if I took this piece of paper and I folded it in half, and I folded it in half 50 times, it doesn't seem like a big thing. But if I folded this paper in half 50 times, 
it would be the distance between here to the sun. It's called geographic, geographical progression. Blah, I'll get it out here in a minute. Because you just compound. Doesn't sound like a lot. 50 times fold this paper in half. Well, you keep folding half and half and half and half and half and half, and it's the distance from here to the sun. It's just one little small action, but it can have a great impact. And whatever we do in our homes and our family can have a great impact on our families. <clears throat> How do we become a hero? Do we go buy a slingshot? I think they still sell them, don't they? <laughs> or not like the kind that David used. There, you have to be a little more specialized. Once we have a, what do they call them, a, what do they call them, a flipper? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a lot different than they are now. We've gotten into the technology of slingshots now. But do we have to do that? Do we have to have more faith? What is it? What is it that makes us a hero? A Temple University uh, professor wrote down six characteristics of a hero. Now, I'm, this was before, you know, Temple University was originally a Christian university, like a lot of our universities used to be. Harvard and all these big-name schools, they were all established as Christian universities, and they've kind of got away from that. But anyway, this was the six characteristics he came up with of a hero. Heroes, they chose to see through the eyes of faith rather than fear. They are honest and have integrity during difficult times. And Thomas Paine uh, said, reputation is what men and women think of us. Character is what God and angels know of us. See? People, we have a reputation of what they think of us, but God knows who we are inside. Uh, they are compassionate, teachable, look for different ways to be more effective. They are risk takers, willing to put themselves in peril, looking for something better on the other side. They are responsible. They have to be men, a woman of God, not just act like a man or a woman of God. See, now there's a big difference right there. If you just did that one, you'd be all right. Be a man or a woman of God, not act like one. It's hard sometimes to act like a man or a woman of God if you're not one because you're put in situations where it's hard to react if, you're not a, if God isn't in your heart. Isn't that true? The Bible says whatever's in the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, you hit your finger with a hammer. You're going to find out what's in your heart <laughs> real fast. Huh, honey? <laughs> He's hit his thumb a time or two. It's a little more time since his eye's kind of, you know, not where it needs to be. So we find out what's inside us. But it's easier to respond as a man or a woman of God than it is trying to act like one. Because I don't care how good actors we are, they're going to get situations where we're going to, the truth's going to come out. And that's when we're going to, when people are going to look and say, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. You said that. Anyway, so we have to be men and women of God. So how do we defeat this abnormal in our lives? How do we do it? Well, see, what we have to do is we have to look for leverage points. Now, you all know what a lever is. It's something that if you want to move something heavy, you get a long stick and you put it on a board and you lift it up. And so somebody can lift 1,000 pounds with very little effort with leverage points. That's kind of what we need to do. We need to find leverage points in our situation. And 1 Samuel 17, 51, it says, Therefore David ran and stood over upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheep thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Their hero was dead. David knew that only one person had to die or fall that would change the whole situation. And that was their hero. So David attacked or used, Goliath was the leverage point. He knew that if he knocked down that one person, the victory was theirs. 
And that's what a leverage point is. It just takes one, situa- one thing out of our situations to be able to decide what is the leverage point. What is it, the one thing that we can do to change this situation, to get to the real reason to be able to be- defeat this giant? Well, there's five questions we can ask ourselves, and I'll give you an example. I have money problems. I need to found a- find a better job. You ask yourself five whys. Now, don't you just hate it when you had little kids and they were always asking these why questions? Why does this happen? Well, because of this. And then they say, you tell them, they say, well, why? 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 Don't you just hate that? Because you go, oh, just shout it. Go ask your mother. That's usually what you do, right? Well, there's five questions that you can ask. The first one, against the question of, uh, I need to find a better job because I have money problems. Why? Am I tired of financial pressure? Why, why do you need to get a job for money problems? I'm tired of financial pressure. Why? Because my bills exceed my income. Why? Because I can't pay my credit cards down faster than the interest rate. Why? Because I've maxed out my credit cards. Why? Because I want more than I can afford in life. The fifth why is the problem. You get in, they got in financial mess because you wanted more than you could afford. That's, isn't that the situation we're in in America? People are always buying things they can't afford, and now all of a sudden, because of the, this, they've got a big giant they've got to face. They've got a giant of financial ability that they can't pay. See, when you get to the root of the problem, that's the leverage point. So when you reach that leverage point in your own situation, whatever it might be, and you've asked yourself these five questions, the fifth time you ask the why and answer yourself, that's the problem. 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time, that's the problem. And that's the problem you got to deal with. And in this situation, you need to get on a budget and you need to tear up your credit cards. That's your leverage point. Then you're going to start getting out of this hole you're in as far as that go- goes. So that's one way that we can uh, deal with uh, finding our leverage points and getting rid of the abnormal in our lives. <clears throat> the village postings ran because we, they, Goliath fell face down. Just one thing changed. And David was the one that was willing to go there. Uh, verses, verse 54 says, And David got Goliath's head and took it to Jerusalem, but he kept Goliath's weapons in his own tent. Why did he keep Goliath's weapons in his tent? He wanted, that was the tent is where he lived. He wanted the weapons in there to be able to remind him of the giant that he had defeated. He wanted to use it as a memorial to his Defeat of a giant. That's what we need to do. We need to set up memorials of our victories. And every time we defeat a giant in our life, display it somewhere so we can walk by and we can see it. Maybe it's praying off your credit card. Maybe it's playing off your house and you put the mortgage thing up there, paying in full, or your title of your car, put it somewhere where you can see it. Say, hey, this is a giant I defeated. I got myself out of this debt. I paid off my car. I did this, whatever it might be. Or my kid graduated from high school. Praise the Lord! <laughs> or you got a GED, whatever it might be, whatever the victories are in your life, we need to memorialize them. And we need to do the same thing with our kids. Every time our kids do something right, we need to praise them. And if they do something wrong, we need to help them see why it was wrong. To be able to help them understand and to grow. And when they do something right, build a memorial for them. Why do parents put trophies and things for their kids up all over the house? They're memorials. So the kids can look at them and see the things that they've accomplished in their life. And there's not just in sports. There's other things that's involved, too. There are report cards. And, hey, like I, I used the example one time about my son that is disabled. And he has, he's 
classified cerebral palsy, and he's having a little bit of a hard time right now. But when he was little, you know, he couldn't use his right arm. He had it all drawn up like this, and he limped a lot, so he had a hard time. And so, but he wanted to play, and I didn't want him to, but I wanted to meet it. Help. Oh, all right, all right. And it's very hard for a parent to know that their kid can't do something, or maybe they can't do it. So he played, and they put him in right field, because that's where nobody hits a ball. And I worked with him, and I worked with him, and we were out, and I was throwing him, tossing him balls, and he would catch it with his hand and put his ball in here, and then he would throw it because he couldn't, you know, he couldn't use his hand. So he had the thing in, in his hand, and he was out there, and I thought, here comes the ball to his part of the field. I thought, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And you know, one of those you don't really want to watch. Ah! Because, you know, if he drops the ball, they're going to get a run, you know, all that stuff. But he caught the ball. And I was so excited that you'd think he'd won the, the national championship. Because to him, that was a great thing. That was just as big a deal for him as my other son, who didn't want to do anything, was so talented. On the All-Star, every year, on the All-Stars, all the every year, he could care less. But him, this was a great deal to him. So we have to praise our kids because they want our admiration. They want our praise. They want us to tell them how wonderful they are. Because if we don't tell them that, the devil will. If you have a daughter that you don't want dating guys that aren't Christian, then you make sure you tell her how beautiful she is and how lucky they are to have you as a daughter and all these other kind of things about that young lady. Because if you don't, there's a wretch out there that'll tell her. And he'll take her off somewhere. And you won't see her. And her life will be can be destroyed. I'm not saying that will always happen. But if you tell her what, how, what a beautiful girl she is, then when the guy tells her, oh, you're so pretty. Oh, I already know that. My dad tells me that all the time. It's not a big shock. But if no one has ever told your kid how wonderful they are and how talented they are or how beautiful they are, then someone else is going to. And they're going to be attracted to that, to that area. And it isn't the area you want them to go. That's why kids join gangs, because they accept them. Well, why can't our kids be accepted in our own houses? Why do we have to let them go out and join gangs? Why can't we accept them in our own homes and tell them how wonderful they are so they can grow up to be Christians? Because real men and women are Christians, and they serve God. So we need to be able to do that with our kids. So why did he take the head, the last head, to Jerusalem? We know why he put the things in his tent so he could look at them every day and be proud of what he did. And we need to be proud of our accomplishments. It's okay. You know, God helps us to make sure you give glory to God for what you've accomplished. But be, put it right in front of us. Don't keep our failures up there. Don't be reminded of your failures when people lost the Super Bowl last year. And they asked if they watched the video of the game. I'm not watching it. Who in the world wants to watch a game or you lose? I don't. <laughs> I hate watching my team lose. And if I know they've lost, I'm not going to watch it again. But if I know they won and they come from behind and it was a great game, man, I'll watch that thing three or four times. Yay! I remember in 19, whatever it was, I don't remember what year it was, Jim McMahon in the, in the Miracle Bowl, and they uh, were down by three touchdowns, BYU was, to Michigan. No, it was SMU. Got to get the teams right. They were down by three touchdowns with two minutes left in the game. Hey, the game was over. I got upset, mad. I turned that game off because, man, I'll tell you, they were, they were stinking up the place. Well, later I come back to see what the final score was, and I'm going, whoa, what's going on here? Hey, they're only down by one touchdown. What happened? <laughs> you know, two minutes left in the game. And they got, but they ended up winning the game. 
So I'm not kidding you. They rebroadcast that game, and I recorded that game, and I watched it about three game, three times because, hey, one of our Utah teams won. I don't care whether it's BYU, Utah, or college, you know, anybody that's in our mountain, Rocky Mountain District, Arizona, whoever it might be, I don't care. Root for our team. I'll watch them win, but I don't watch them if they lose. So let's put our victories on the shelf. Let's look at our victories all the time because that will chase out the abnormal things in our life. And if we said, hey, I got rid of this in my life, I got rid of that movie that I knew I shouldn't be watching, watching that no more, I'm getting rid of it. I'm putting one here that I'm going to watch. Get rid of the books you shouldn't be reading. Look at the ones you should be reading. It's just a matter of a little bit at a time because a little one little action can make a big difference in our lives. Well, why did he take the head to, Jer to Jerusalem? At that time, Jerusalem wasn't in the control of Israel. Jebusites was in charge of Jerusalem. And they were the second Worst enemies that Israel had next to the Philistines. So David took the head to Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm going to fight the rest of the enemy. This is a, I got rid of the first enemy. Now I'm already waiting looking forward to my second enemy. And I'm bringing the example of what's going to happen to you. <laughs> you got a hero? Here he is. <laughs> so I'm bringing it here to fight my next, my next giant, my next victory. That's why he brought the head to Jerusalem. And we need to do the same thing in our lives. We need to be reminded of our victories. We need to be reminded we can face giants in our life. We don't have to worry about them because God's on our side. We can step out in faith. We don't have to step back because David, when he went to that, to that battlefield that day, he didn't know he was going to fight a giant. And what would happen if his father hadn't sent him? What would have happened if we hadn't had one person that was there? And I guess it's a good thing that David wasn't there. Because maybe he would have ended up in the abnormalcy too. I was listening to him spout off day after day after day. Sometimes when we get up in the morning, we don't know by the end of the day we're going to face a giant. I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's a car accident. Maybe it's a sudden illness of somebody in your family. Who knows what that giant's going to be? How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond in fear? Are we going to respond and be afraid and try to run away and try to get away from the situation? Or are we going to step out? And we're going to say, how am I going to face this giant? I can beat him because God's on my side, whatever it might be. If we haven't decided in advance how we're, we're, we're going to serve God, if we haven't decided what we're going to do, we're going to run because that's our instinct. And we have to fight those instincts in our lives. You want, don't you want to beat your giants? Aren't you tired of having your giants beat up on you? I am. I got lots of scars from giants. But see, I didn't know that I could beat them up. And there's not a giant you're facing this morning in your life that you can't beat up, that you can't defeat, that you can't conquer. If you'll just say, God, I'll fight you in the name of the Lord. Because David didn't say, I'm coming to you in my strength. I'm not coming to you with my little bitty slingshot here. I'm not coming to you with my little stick. He knew that God was backing him up. And as Christians, God is backing us up. So there's nothing that we have to be afraid of. There's nothing that we have to fear because God is backing us up. But he's not going to back us up until we step out onto the fight, step toward the fight. That's when God works. When they stepped into the water of the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant, the waters didn't separate until they priests stepped into the water. We need to step forward. And regardless of circumstances, we need to say, God, I'm not satisfied with this giant in my life. I'm going to fight him, and I'm going to defeat him. Not in my strength, but in your strength, because you are God of all gods, and there's nothing we can't do. In his name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning and you, uh, 
thought, you know, I've been running away, running away from a situation in my life that I shouldn't be running away from. I've got a lot of giants in my life. But I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living in a normalcy of life that I'm accepting my life the way it is. I want to do something about it. And I'm going to raise my hand and say to God that, hey, God, I'm going to be a David. I'm going to slay the giants you put in my path. David picked up five stones. A lot of people wonder why. I don't know whether it was because he, maybe he thought he might miss or maybe he thought he'd take more than one stone. I don't know. A lot of people say it's because uh, Goliath had four brothers. I like that one. I like to have, I like that. He had four brothers, <laughs> which he did 